Good morning, church family. I'm Pastor Bob. It's good to be here. Um, I'm excited about today's text. Um, it's good to see your faces, and it just reminds me of the importance of us coming together, not forgetting the assembly of the saints, and just how we are a mutual encouragement to one another. Um, as Pastor Jimmy reminded us last week, to endure. Um, also, too, and just keep in mind as we um, take a look at today's message, which is coming from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, that uh, Hebrews was written to a congregation of uh, Jewish believers. Um, they were undergoing persecution from both the Roman Empire as well as even their own community and family because they had left the Jewish faith and have converted to Christianity, and they believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Um, and they were going through trials and difficulties, um, hardships um, from within and from without. Um, and there was a very strong temptation to leave the faith and just go back to the familiar. Um, today's passage, though, um, from Hebrews, Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 13, um, deals with God's rest. Um, the main idea of today's message is enter God's rest through faith in Jesus Christ. Fear God, don't be foolish like the Israelites in the wilderness, and reject the good news. Rest in Christ. So today's passage from Hebrews deals with rest, God's rest. Rest is a very interesting concept. What exactly is rest? What isn't rest? Have you ever thought deeply about rest? It's a pretty big deal to the Jews. After all, it's one of the core Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Sabbath was all about rest. To the natural man, the Sabbath is counterintuitive. After all, the seventh day of the week is just another day to make money and get things done. But at the heart of the Sabbath is trusting in the provision and goodness of God. It's all about trusting in the steadfast love and grace of God who will provide for our every need in Christ Jesus. The, the Sabbath actually screams the gospel. The Sabbath focuses on more than just physical activity. It's also a mindset. And I think we need to put these lenses on that Jesus gave us. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, God loves people. And he knows, as people, we need rest. We need rest in him. I was looking at some definitions of rest. One definition of rest is to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. Another definition states rest is an instance or a period of relaxing or ceasing to engage, um, relaxing to engage any strenuous or stressful activities. According to these definitions, rest seems to rule out any type of work or strenuous activities, which would also include, um, seems to rule out any type of uh, competitive activities or anything that's performance-driven. But rest is not doing nothing. It's doing something that relaxes, refreshes, and replenishes. First of all, doing nothing is impossible unless you're dead. For my 20-some years of experience as both a parent and a public school teacher, doing nothing usually means video games, surfing the web, social media, texting, 
scheming trouble, or an internal restless grumbling of, I'm bored. Rest is enjoying the beauty and awe of a sunrise or sunset. Rest is being refreshed by the encouragement and company of good friends. Rest is meditating on the precious promises of God and counting your blessings. Rest is actually essential to life. Rest is very good. I personally came to realize the importance of rest soon after I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. I never took rest seriously until the day I had two doctors, one a cardiologist and the other one a neurologist, tell me that if I didn't get my rest and sleep in order, I would die prematurely from either a heart attack or cancer. As an athlete, I was always told the importance of being disciplined in regard to exercise and diet. But now I was being told by the doctors that rest may be the most important discipline of all. I learned that when you go through sleep cycles, there's actually a cycle of deep sleep called REM, or rapid eye movement. During this cycle of rest, amazing things happen. Regeneration of the body, the body heals itself, it releases hormones that aid in muscle growth. The brain dreams, which increases creativity, memory retention, and focus, learning aptitude, and neuron connections are made. Emotionally, stress is lowered, and the ability to cope with stress and difficult situations improves. On the surface level, someone in REM, or this deep rest, may actually appear to be close to dead as breathing becomes irregular and shallow and muscles are paralyzed. But on the inside, we are more alive than when we are awake. When we rest, we are not working, but a lot of good is being done. Likewise, when we are resting in Christ, God is supernaturally working in our lives. Let's uh, turn to prayer before we read the scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you. First and foremost, we're so thankful to be able to call you Father because of the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But Lord, we also come to you as children that we all have a rest problem in different degrees and in different manners and different areas of our life, Lord. Father, we ask that as we come to you and and come to your word, that you would pour out your spirit afresh upon us, that you would enlighten our minds and, and soften our hearts, that we would be able to be shaped and formed and changed more into the image of your son, that we would truly understand in a deeper meaning, in a deeper way, what it means to rest in Christ. There is no safer, no better, no joyous place to be than in the loving arms of Christ. Help us, Lord, to find that rest today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have fallen to reach it. If good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he, as some were spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, 
they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if in your heart you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay. So as we see here, God is, is giving us a, a somber warning and also a great encouragement. Um, I hope that we see that in this passage there is both great peril and great opportunity. As we take a look, I'm going to break this passage into three sections. The first section will be verses 1 through 5. And the main point here is fear God and preserve and persevere in faith. Disbelief in the good news kept Israel out of the promised land. When I look at verse 1, right off the bat, what jumps off the page is this promise of entering his rest and also this exhortation to fear. I'm going to tackle the promise first. This promise actually goes back to the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, the God who by the power of his word had graciously created the universe for Adam and Eve to enjoy. He even placed them in a beautiful and perfect paradise that provided for all of their needs where everything was in harmony and they could rest and enjoy each other and enjoy walks and talks with God. Despite everything they knew and had experienced of God, Adam and Eve chose to doubt the goodness and love of God and believe the serpent's lie that God was not good. He was withholding good, something better. And they disobeyed God and chose to do life on their own and forfeit the rest of God. Despite this rebellious act, God promised Eve that one of her own offspring would defeat the serpent who was Satan, who had deceived her, and bring salvation to the human race. See, paradise and rest with God would be restored through this promised child. More specifically, this promise also is referring to the Abrahamic promise, which we can find in Exodus 33, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out all the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go in your midst, because you are an obstinate people." and I might destroy you on the way. You see, the promised land was a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that had both farms and fields, crops and livestock, 
that the Israelites did not plow or raise. It had wells they did not dig and orchards they did not plant. It had cities that they did not build and homes that were fully furnished. All they had to do was obey God and enter the promised land. And God would even send his angel to drive out their enemies so that they could have rest. Do we see the grace of God? God had graciously provided all of this for a less than faithful, stiff-necked, stubborn people because he was keeping his promise to Eve and Abraham. You see, God keeps all his promises. So we should ask the question, why did they fail? Why does the preacher also, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tell the Jewish Christians that were being persecuted, as well as us today, to fear, to take this seriously? You know, because fearing God is about the most healthy thing we can fear. You see, if we don't fear God, we will fall victim to the fear of man. The word says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 53.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, the Israelites were acting like fools. They didn't believe God. Despite witnessing and experiencing the Lord supernaturally topple the Egyptian empire, the superpower of the ancient world, with plagues and signs and wonders and the parting of the Red Sea, God even caused the Egyptians to fear the Jews to the point that they gave all of their gold, silver, jewelry, and fine clothing to the Israelites so that the Israelites literally plundered the Egyptians as they left. But the Israelites refused to trust in God. As soon as an opposition, trial, or difficulty arose, they wanted to go back to the familiar. They did not want to enter his rest. They would rather return to Egypt and be slaves again. Has Christ ever rescued you from a bad situation, relationship, addiction, or habits, only to find yourself trapped again, asking yourself, how did I get here again? More than likely, it's a lack of fear of God. We see idols, they creep into our lives. They make promises they can't keep. And the fear of man and circumstances drive you and enslave you. Rather than resting and trusting in God, we fear man. Brothers and sisters, if we don't fear God, we can't see the tender mercies and love of his gracious provision of resting in his son, Jesus Christ. When we go through trials and tribulations that test and refine our faith, you see, it's these trials and hardships that reveal where our identity and trust and rests, where our trust rests. By God's grace and the Holy Spirit, hardships and difficulties in life prompt us to cling to Christ. In verse 2, I, I see the word good news. Often when we hear good news gospel, we think that's just a, a New Testament term. But the good news has always been proclaimed. See, that the preacher of Hebrews unites us today and his congregation with the Israelites that left Egypt by stating that we both have received the message of the good news. Understand this, since the fall, God has been revealing his salvation plan for mankind systematically and repeatedly throughout history, which would be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And this rest and promised land that was offered to the Israelites was a historical and physical reality, which was foreshadowing a greater and fuller rest, a resting place of God that would be revealed in Christ Jesus. 
The Israelites were given freedom and offered rest from the oppression of the Egyptian slavery and rest from their enemies, as well as a land flowing with milk and honey where they could rest and dwell together with God by the means of a temple which would be built in Jerusalem. The temple and the law were a gracious and temporary gift given to people so that they would know how to worship and love God as well as love one another. This was good news to the world. If God could save Israel, he could save anyone. Ultimately, those who had faith like Moses, Caleb, and Joshua, they believed the good news. They looked forward to a heavenly resting place where they would be able to see God's face, which comes after our time here on earth. The author of Hebrew reminds us that the Israelites were before the cross and were given a temporary earthly kingdom that would point forward to the good news of the coming Messiah, who would provide a way back to the Father and into his rest. Today we live after the cross and we look back to see the final revelation of God's good news, Jesus Christ, who is the only way to enter God's rest. But the message benefits only those who believe in the message, both before and after the cross. Verse 3 reinforces that we enter this promised rest through faith, not works. Therefore, we need to preserve, persevere through faith. By faith in Christ and the gospel, we have entered this rest. And as we continue to rest in Christ through faith, God's grace works supernaturally to preserve us in Christ. It's God's desire to journey and tabernacle with his people. It's always been like this. It's God's work that gives us everything we need for life as well as rest. During the creation, God created everything we needed in six days and rested on the seventh. God created light to see and understand. He created the beautiful sky. He created vegetation on dry land for good food. He created the sun, moon, and stars for keeping time and season. He created creatures to fill the sky and the sea below, as well as creatures to live on dry land. And finally, he created us to care and rule over it and to enjoy it with him. It's been God's desire to always rest with man. I think this reference from Genesis 2-2, God resting on the Sabbath, reveals that it has always been God's intention to rest and dwell with man. The tent of meeting or the tabernacle was a portable house of God that the Israelites carried with them in the wilderness. The temple was the house of God in Jerusalem where man could meet and worship God. And Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has always desired to rest and dwell with man. This is why the preacher draws our attention to Psalm 95, where David calls the worshipers of God to remember their ancestors who rejected the promised rest of God by unbelief. There is this very heavy tension that is repeated in this passage of a wrathful promise of God. They shall not enter my rest. If the Israelites could not find satisfaction in God's miracles, signs and wonders, and wondrous salvation, how could they find satisfaction in a land flowing with milk and honey? David reminds us to reject God's promise is rejecting his salvation and embracing death, a restless eternity of bitter regret. 
The preacher exhorts us to persevere in faith in Christ and enter God's rest. Because although Jesus rested from all his creative work on the seventh day, Jesus rested from all his redemption work on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago when he said, it is finished. This is the rest you cannot afford to reject. Forsake your rebellion and unbelief and rest in the work of Christ so that you can find true rest. Let's um, look at verses 6 through 11. Um, The main point of these verses here is come to Christ in faith today and enter God's rest. I'm going to read over this quickly. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, verse 6, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for God, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The author here is calling us to come to Christ in faith today and enter God's rest. Again, the author also uses the term good news in verse 6 in reference as being essential to entering the rest of God, which he also refers to as another day or future Sabbath rest. I'll be honest with you, organizing this passage in a linear way was difficult, probably because it's not supposed to. Um, So uh, what's going on here is, I I believe the preacher, there's also a strong warning here too, um, of not hardening your hearts towards the word of God when the Spirit of God convicts one of the truth of the gospel and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, I believe the preacher here is addressing both the believer to persevere in their faith as well as the unbeliever to come to faith in Christ. Therefore, I'll start with discussing the nature of this rest. It would seem from the previous passages, as well as verses 8 and 9, that the rest of God is rooted both in the past in the Garden of Eden and the crossing of the Jordan River by the Israelites. See, both of these places of rest are both historical but temporal, while they're foreshadowing a future spiritual and physical heaven on earth, a new heaven, a new earth, that will be everlasting. I'm going to let Pastor Jimmy um, preach about the new heaven, new earth, in the upcoming chapters of Hebrews But the language today in verse 7 suggests that this rest of God, which is found in Christ alone, is something that we can enter presently, right now, through faith in Jesus. Therefore, this rest is rooted in the past, but points to the future. This rest in God we enter presently through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this rest of God is also passive and active. It's passive in that we simply believe 
in Christ as the Son of God, that he died on the cross, taking our deserved punishment and full wrath of God in our place, and in exchange gave us his righteousness and rose from the dead, defeating the power of death and sin. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it very clearly. God made him who knew no sin, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's also an active resting um, in that we have to continue to trust in Christ and rest in him. And I would go to Philippians 1.6 where Paul promises, makes the promise that he who began a good work will be faithful to carry it out to completion to the day of Christ. So he who is in us is working through us supernaturally, um, sustaining and preserving us as we cling to Christ because he clings to us. Verse 10 makes it very clear that God's rest is the beautiful gift of God's salvation that is found in Christ. Paul also explains it well in the fourth chapter of Romans when he refers again back to Abraham, the father of, of faith. For if Abraham... This is, sorry, I'll give you a little time. This is in Romans 4, uh, verse 2, 2 through 5, if you want to check that out. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the, to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. See, this is the rest of God. We are no longer resting in our works, but the work of Christ. I heard a pastor put it very plainly. Religion is spelled D-O, do, because it's all about what I can do. And Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done, because it's all about what Christ has done for us. See, our trust, our rest has to be completely in Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. Now, when we move on to verse 11, at a quick glance, um, we see this word strive. Don't be thrown off by that. Um, It's not at all removing the grace of of God. Um, But this stride, I actually had some help from reading Spurgeon's Gospel, Hope for the Anxious Hearts. It was very helpful in understanding this. Um, Some translations might translate this word strive to make every effort, um, as other translations say. um, But the preacher here is using the expression strive to guard against spiritual drift. Let's look back to the Israelites. You see, when when the Lord gave the Israelites rest or relief from slavery in Egypt um, by the miracles, when he gave them rest from thirst by giving them water from the rock, when he gave them relief or rest from hunger by sending them bread from heaven, what did they do? They grumbled and threatened to kill Moses and return to slavery in Egypt. You see, Since they weren't resting and trusting in God, they couldn't handle rest and freedom. They were just restless. Spurgeon would point us to Jesus' invitation recorded in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I'd like for us to look at that. 
Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus here gives us a beautiful invitation. He also makes a promise. He says, I will give you rest. What what is the prerequisite, though? All who labor and are heavy laden. See, if you're feeling the conviction of sin and a desire to be made right, and you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired of yourself, Jesus says, come, come. The task of trying to make oneself righteous, it won't happen. We need the righteousness of Christ. Jesus says, come. And, and when he gives us this rest, what do we do? He says, once you receive the rest, he says, then take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this putting on the yoke of Christ is taking off the old self and putting on Christ. We need to cherish him and supernaturally imitate him. Spurgeon also put it well when he said, Jesus Christ gives us rest in the gift of himself. All the rest we can ever enjoy, even heaven's rest, lies in him. But after we have received him, we have to learn his value and find out by teaching, by the teaching of his spirit, the fullness of this rest which he bestows. See, this, this strive used by the author of Hebrews communicates a passionate pursuit of the saints, corporately experiencing Christ together, through worship, and encouraging one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ to know him more and make him known together. And yes, this is a corporate exhortation, not a private activity. God's word says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. See, we are God's family, and as we rest and work, as we rest in the work of Jesus Christ together, the Spirit of God does a miraculous work within us. He transforms us into the image of Christ. There's another um, gospel illustration I would like to use. Um, if we could look to, that would help us understanding of what this active rest looks like, of resting in Christ. Um, if we turn to Luke 10, 17 through 20, actually that's up on the screen, thank you. Um, it says that the backdrop of this is Jesus sends out his disciples, he sends out 72, and he gives them the power to cast out demons and perform miracles, and then they return. It says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan, Fall like lightning from heaven. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you see what's going on here? Uh, Pastor John Bruce actually did a great job unpacking this. We see that Christ is not rebuking the, the joy that the disciples had over doing this amazing work, but we see here that Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue that there's an identity shift. Okay? They are rejoicing in what they are doing. And that's a very subtle thing. I mean, take, you can imagine Peter, for example. Peter's like, I'm done with fishing. <laughs> I'm demon slayer Peter. <laughs> you know, he, he's all excited about that. But Jesus here is resetting their minds and their hearts that no, your joy comes from what I have done for you, what the identity that you have in me. See, when our affirmation comes from others or things that we can do or things that we can have, our joy and rest is all over the place. Okay? Where does your joy come from? See, when, when our joy comes from what we do, even, even good things like, you know, today I'm a really good dad or I'm a really good teacher or, um, you know, I'm doing really well in, in marriage or I'm making my parents happy or my grades are great at school, okay? Um, or my, my ministry is going awesome, okay? That's idolatry. See, our joy comes from where we rest our identity. And our joy should always come from what Christ has done for us. We are children of the King. Our names are written in the book of life. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's turn back to Hebrews 4 again. And we're going to finish this up with verses 12 and 13. And the main point here is Christ is God's final word. Rest in Christ and resist unbelief. When I, when I read this scripture, I automatically think of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. You must understand that Christ Jesus is the final word of God. He is God's perfect and complete revelation of salvation. He is God and he is Savior. This is not a lighthearted scripture. This passage reveals great opportunity and equally great peril. You see, looking back at the Israelites, to reject the gracious promise rest of God and prefer slavery in Egypt by making bricks out of mud in the blazing heat of the day and rather than experiencing the joy and rest of God 
in a land flowing with milk and honey. It led to 40 years of restless wandering in the wilderness waiting to die. How much greater an offense to reject the beautiful Son of God and all that he offers, all the riches in Christ Jesus, who bled and died and absorbed the full wrath of God in our place so that we might enter into the rest of God. This passage here tells us you are accountable before the word of God. Either you are fully resting in Christ for your salvation, or you're just faking it. This passage makes it very clear that we can't fake faith with God. Christ sees through us. God's word gives us faith, but it also judges our faith. It will expose and strip off any self-righteousness. God's word is alive and working and convicts and cuts to the heart, judging the thoughts and motives and intent of our heart and soul with the precision of a surgeon. It judges our works. Are you working and striving to prove yourself worthy of salvation, working for your own righteousness? Or are you resting in the righteousness of Christ, fully understanding that you don't deserve the gift of salvation that God has freely given in his Son? See, the, the good news is this. God loves us. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to leave heaven, to put on flesh, become one of us, to endure hardship, to endure trials, to endure rejection, to endure hatred, to endure accusations and judgment to take all the sins that we have committed upon himself and say, ah, I'll take the blame. God, you are righteous and just. You can't let sin be not dealt with. Pour your wrath out on me. Forgive your people. See, he takes the full wrath of God and in exchange he gives us his righteousness. This is the greatest transaction in all of time and history where he takes all of our sin debt, all the punishment that we deserve, and in exchange he gives us all of his righteousness and goodness and favor of God that we don't deserve. If you feel the burden and shame of sin and are being convicted of your own self-righteousness, come to Jesus now in faith and receive his rest. If you sense that you are drifting from faith in Christ and have been finding greater joy in the things that you have and the things that you do than what Christ has done for you, repent of this idolatry and put on Christ, rest in Christ, renew your identity in him, and rest in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we do struggle with rest. And Lord, we see throughout the pages of Scripture that that's been your desire from the beginning, to give us rest, rest in your Son. From the garden to the promised land to today, you still desire to dwell with man. Lord, help us to cast our burdens, our shame, our guilt, our idolatry at the foot of the cross and renew our trust and rest in you. There's no greater joy, there's no greater security than knowing that we are a son or daughter of the living God. Lord, if we know that we are good with you and you are smiling on us, that gives us strength to face the pain and sorrows of this world. Lord, help us to count our days and realize that they are they're numbered and our life is frail. Let us not hold on to these things, but turn them over to you and receive forgiveness and grace and life and rest in Christ Jesus. Dear Lord, do a work in each of our hearts today through resting in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Today we are going to also celebrate the rest of God found in Christ Jesus by taking part in the Lord's Supper. Um, Resting in Christ not only is a transition from going from the land of self-righteousness and doing works on your own to the land of resting in the works of Christ, but it's also transition in, in family and before you, you have we have the elements here and they represent the table of God and at the table of God we find family and love and this, this transition that takes place supernaturally through our faith in Christ um, takes place because we're all naturally born into the human race we all belong to Adam and Eve and the Adam and Eve table has a tragic story to it where we find out that Eve was deceived by the serpent and sinned. And we see that Adam then chose Eve over God. And he also sinned with her. Now that might sound like a a beautiful love story if you're a fan of Romeo and Juliet. But in reality, it is truly tragic because they both died for a lie. The beauty we have of coming to the table of God is this, of Christ, is that we have all rebelled against God and sinned. But God loved us. Christ loved us to the point of, as I said before, becoming flesh and becoming one of us. And, and he said, instead of turning his back on God, knowing that God is just and righteous, 
He chose the Father's way. And he said, I'll take the blame for them. I'll taste death for them. And through his sacrifice, we have been cleansed and we have been brought into the family of God. We are the bride of Christ. We're his bride. Okay? We are now children of God and we are now part of God's family. So as we partake of the elements today, remember that we are partaking at the table of God as family. When we partake of the elements, we've got um, here on my right and left, and also some of the um, self-contained ones are kind of like Lunchables in the back. Um, What I'm going to ask you to do is, once Andy leads us in in music, is for those of you that are going to come up front, please come up the center aisle, um, take the elements, and then go around to the outside and sit back down. And at the end of the song, um, to please, um, I'll come back up and lead you through the taking of the elements. Um, I'd like to say, too, um, this is also a very, um, it's a joyous occasion, but it's also a somber occasion in that it's a time of reflection. If if you have not trusted in Christ, I ask that you um, not partake, but but reflect upon um, what is keeping you from coming to the table, what is keeping you from entering that rest in Christ. Look at what Christ has to offer is there anything better? And if you're a, a brother or sister in the Lord and, and there's sin that you haven't dealt with yet, um, obvious sin, um, please, you know, take care of that before you partake in the cup and the bread. <laughs>